It's May the 18th. Let's read the Bible. Welcome back, friends, to this year-long journey from Genesis to Revelation in just one year. Here we are, just a little bit past the midpoint of May. We are in the wonderful book of 1 Kings, and today it's 1 Kings chapters 4, 5, and 6. Before we get there, let me just say again how much I appreciate the comments that you send in. And if you have a thought, a prayer request, a question, or just something you want to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can put comments on the, when you put them on Facebook, you can put them on YouTube, you can put them on the Rumble video platform, you can go to keepbelieving.com and underneath every single video, there's a place for you to sign it. It's called Discus. It's sort of a play on the word discuss, discus, and you can sign up for that and then you can put a comment there anyway. I'm saying we love to hear from you. My personal email address is ray at keepbelieving.com. I know my, my mail comes in from about 10 different sources and I try to respond to everything as quickly as I can. I'm just saying we love hearing from you. Thank you for your comments, your questions, your insights, and all of that. Now, 1 Kings, what a great book. Remember the two parts we started yesterday, the two parts of it, the United Kingdom, chapters 1 through 11, the Divided Kingdom, chapters 12 through 22. Three people tell the story of 1 Kings. It's Solomon, then it's Ahab, and then it's Elijah. Solomon, a good man who made some really dumb decisions, Ahab, who was a thoroughly wicked king, and he got Israel, the northern ten tribes, in terrible trouble, and Elijah, a prophet of God, a mountain man, who did amazing things for the Lord. So, in this book, in the early chapters, the temple's going to be built. We're going to see part of that this morning. We're going to see the, the blessing that came to Israel because Solomon and David followed the Lord. We're going to see what happened when Solomon didn't follow the Lord and sort of really more his legacy. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the book. And just, just a reminder that God works through the chaos of life. There's a, there, there's a lot of names in this section, and uh, I'm going to do the best I can with these names. But these are the men that Solomon chose to help him uh, oversee the land of Israel. This was Israel. I think in a time of great peace, a time of great prosperity. So let's now begin to read 1 Kings 4. King Solomon reigned over all Israel, and these were his officials, Azariah, son of Zadok, priest, Eliareth, and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, secretaries, Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, court historian, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, in charge of the army, Zadok and Abiathar, priest, Azariah, son of Nathan, in charge of the deputies, Zebud, son of Nathan, a priest and advisor to the king, Ahishar, in charge of the palace, and Adoniram, son of Abda, in charge of forced labor. Solomon had twelve deputies for all Israel. They provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month out of the year. These were their names, Ben-Hur, in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben-Decker, in Mekaz, Shalabim, Bashemesh, and Elon beth Hanan, Ben-Hasid, in Aruboth, he had Soko in the whole land of Ephor, Ben Abinadab in all Naphath Dor, Tapath, daughter of Solomon, was his wife, Baana, son of Ahilud, in Ta'anak, Megiddo, and all Bethshan, which is beside 
Zarathan below Jezreel from Bashan to Abel Mahola as far as the other side of Jachmiel. Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead, he had the villages of Jair, son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead, and he had the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, sixty great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, son of Iddo in Mahanaim, Ahimahaz in Naphtali, he also had married a daughter of Solomon, Basimoth, Baanath, son of Hushai in Asher and Beelah, Jehoshaphat, son of Peruah in Issachar, Shimei, son of Elah in Benjamin, Geber, son of Uri in the land of Gilead, the country of King Sihon of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. There was one deputy in the land of Judah. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sands by the sea. They were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines and as far as the border of Egypt. They offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provisions for one day were a hundred bushels of fine flour and 360 bushels of meal, 10 fattened cattle, 20 range cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and pin-fed poultry, for he had dominion over everything west of the Euphrates from Tiphsah in Gaza and over all the kings west of the Euphrates. He had peace on all his surrounding borders. Throughout Solomon's reign, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, each person under his own vine and his own fig tree. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Each of these, each of those deputies for a month in turn provided food for King Solomon and for everyone who came to King Solomon's table. They neglected nothing. Each man brought the barley and the straw for the chariot teams and the other horses to the required place according to his assignment. God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as fast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Hemad, Calco and Darda, sons of Mahol. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about trees from the cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, emissaries of all people sent by every king on earth who had heard about his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. 1 Kings 5. Now, preparations, materials for building the temple in this chapter and then the building of the temple in the next chapter. 1 Kings 5. King Hiram of Tyre sent his emissaries to Solomon when he heard that he had been anointed king in his father's place. For, for Hiram had always been friends with David. Solomon sent this message to Hiram. You know my father David was not able to build a temple for the name of the Lord his God. This was because of all the warfare all around him until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. The Lord my God has now given me rest on every side. There is no enemy or misfortune, so I plan to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, according to what the Lord promised my father David, I will put your son on your throne in your place, and he will build the temple for my name. Therefore, command the cedars from Lebanon be cut down from me. My servants will be your servants, and I will pay your servants wages according to whatever you say. For you know that not a man among us knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When Hiram heard Solomon's words, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today. He has given David a wise son to be over his great people. 
Then Hiram sent a reply to Solomon, saying, I have heard your message. I will do everything you want regarding the cedar and cypress timber. My servants will bring the logs down from Lebanon to the sea, and I will make them into rafts to go by sea to the place you indicate. I will break them apart there, and you can take them away. You then can meet my needs by providing my household with food. So Hiram provided Solomon with all the cedar and cypress timber he wanted, and Solomon provided Hiram with 120,000 bushels of wheat as food for his household and 120,000 gallons of oil from crushed olives. Solomon did this for Hiram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. There was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. Then King Solomon drafted forced laborers from all Israel. The labor force numbered 30,000 men. He sent 10,000 to Lebanon each month in shifts. One month they were in Lebanon, two months they were at home. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 porters and 80,000 stonecutters in the mountains, not including his 3,300 deputies in charge of the work. They supervised the people doing the work. The king commanded them to quarry large, costly stones to lay the foundation of the temple with dressed stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders, along with the Gebelites, quarried the stone and prepared the timber and stones for the temple's construction. 1 Kings 6. Now, we're going to read about the actual building of the temple. Solomon began to build the temple for the Lord in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of his reign over Israel, in the months of Ziv, which is the second month. The Lord, the temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The portico in front of the temple sanctuary was 30 feet long, extending across the temple's width and 15 feet deep in front of the temple. He also made windows with beveled frames for the temple. He then built a chambered structure along the temple wall, encircling the walls of the temple, that is, the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary, and he made side chambers all around. The lowest chamber was seven and a half feet wide, the middle was nine feet wide, and third was ten and a half feet wide. He also provided offset ledges for the temple all around the outside so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. The temple's construction used finished stones cut at the quarry so that no hammer, chisel, or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. The door for the lowest side chamber was on the right side of the temple. They went up a stairway to the middle chamber and from the middle to the third. When he finished building the temple, he paddled it with boards and planks of cedar. He built the chambers along the entire temple, joined to the temple with cedar beams. Each story was seven and a half feet high. The word of the Lord came to Solomon, as for this temple you are building, if you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep all my commands, by walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people Israel. When Solomon finished building the temple, he paneled the interior temple walls with cedar boards. From the temple floor to the surface of the ceiling, he overlaid the interior with wood. He also overlaid the floor with cypress boards. Then, then he lined 30 feet of the rear of the temple with cedar boards from the floor to the surface of the ceiling, and he built the interior as an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The temple, that is, the sanctuary in front of the most holy place, was 60 feet long. The cedar paneling inside the temple was carved with ornamental gourds and flower blossoms. Everything was cedar. Not a stone could be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to put the Ark of the Lord's Covenant there. The interior of the sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. 
He overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the cedar altar. Next, Solomon overlaid the interior of the temple with pure gold, and he hung gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. So he added the gold overlay to the entire temple until everything was completely finished, including the entire altar that belongs to the inner sanctuary. In the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim, 15 feet high out of olive wood. One wing of the first cherub was seven and a half feet long, and the other wing was seven and a half feet long. The wingspan was 15 feet from tip to tip. The second cherub was also 15 feet. Both cherubim had the same size and shape. The first cherub's height was 15 feet, and so was the second cherub's. Then he put the cherubim inside the inner temple. Since their wings were spread out, the first one's wing touched the one wall, while the second cherub's wing touched the other wall, and in the middle of the temple their wings were touching wing to wing. He also overlaid the cherubim with gold. He carved all the surrounding temple walls with carved engravings, cherubim, palm trees, and flower blossoms in the inner and the outer sanctuaries. He overlaid the temple floor with gold in both the inner and outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made olive wood doors. The pillars of the doorposts were five-sided. The two doors were made of olive wood. He carved cherubim, palm trees, and flower blossoms on them and overlaid them with gold, hammering gold over the cherubim and palm trees. In the same way, he made four-sided olive wood doorposts for the sanctuary entrance. The two doors were made of cypress wood. The first door had two folding sides and the second door had two folding panels. He carved cherubim, palm trees, and flower blossoms on them and overlaid them with gold, applied evenly over the carving. He built the inner courtyard with three rows of dressed stone and a row of trimmed cedar beams. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in Solomon's fourth year in the month of Zib. In his eleventh year in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the temple was completed in every detail and according to every specification. So he built it in seven years. As I was reading this, I was thinking about all those blessings and cursing when we went through, especially the cursings, the, the, the threats of the Lord, but also the blessings. When we went through Deuteronomy, you come here to this fantastic statement, all this cedar and then all this gold. There's a reason Solomon's temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Nothing else like it. In history, I don't think there's ever been any building quite like Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. One thing you can say, God gave David a promise, and he gave Solomon a blessing of wisdom. And with the blessing of the Lord, Solomon built the temple. And he even said, he even said, if you will obey me, walk in my ways, and keep my commandment, the promises I made shall be passed on from generation, generation, generation. Reminds me again, you know, you start reading through the Old Testament, these themes just keep popping up. And this one just keeps popping up in my mind. God has done everything necessary for his people to succeed. If they turn away from him now, they have this fan. They have been blessed with David and been blessed with Solomon, and they have this visual temple, this unbelievable building of the worship of God, done exactly the way God said. If they turn away God, turn away now, they cannot blame the Lord. God has done it all. 
salvation is of the Lord. Oh, oh, let us then be, let us then be warned. I mean, that's what comes to my mind. Let us then be warned. God has done everything. If we drift away now, having so great a salvation, I mean, who shall be blamed? Not God. He's done everything necessary for you and me to walk in holiness and righteousness today. We have Jesus. Jesus died and rose from the dead. Let us then set ourselves, set our minds and our hearts in light of all the blessing to obey him today and walk in his way. Go out, folks. Have a great day. God has done everything necessary for you and me to walk in victory. So then let's walk in victory and obedience today and experience the blessings of the Lord. Come back tomorrow. There's more to come. We got a long way to go in 1 Kings. Have a great day, folks. See you back here tomorrow.